This is a meditation. Just as we consider where we are with the Lord and how so much can interrupt our journey with Him, even maybe our fear of what He might do if we give Him time. I'm going to start by reading a page or two from the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning, which is a wonderful book of a man who's been through the ringer himself. After his triple denial, what future would have awaited Peter if he had to depend on my patience, understanding and compassion? Instead of a shrug, sneer, slap or curse, Jesus responded with the subtlest and most gracious compliment imaginable. He named Peter the leader of the faith community and entrusted him with authority to preach the good news and the power of the Spirit. The limping Peter's betrayal of the Master, like so many of our own moral relapses and refusals of grace, was not a terminal failure, but the occasion for painful personal growth and fidelity. It is not unrealistic to presume that later Peter praised God for the servant girl in Caiaphas's courtyard, who turned him into a sniveling coward. In this context, small wonder that Augustine would paraphrase the words of Paul, that for those who love God, everything works unto good, even sin. At some point in each of our lives, we were deeply touched by a profound encounter with Jesus Christ. It was a mountaintop experience, a moment of immense consolation. We were swept up in peace, joy, certitude, love. Quite simply, we were overcome. Our minds and hearts resonated with awe and wonder. We were deeply moved for a few hours, days or weeks and eventually returned to the routine occupations of our daily existence. We did not get unraveled. Slowly we got caught up in the demands of our ministry or career and the distractions our busy world offers. We began to treat Jesus like the old friend from Brooklyn whom we dearly loved in years past but have gradually lost track of. Of course it was unintentional. We simply allowed circumstances to drive us apart. On a recent visit to that city, it had never crossed our mind to contact him. We had become preoccupied with something else, even though it was far less life-giving and captivating. It is possible we may never love anyone as much as we loved him, but even the memory has grown dim. Heightened by the agnosticism of inattention, the lack of personal discipline over media bombardment, mind control, sterile conversation, private prayer and the subjugation of the senses, the presence of Jesus grows more and more remote. Just as the failure to be attentive dissolves confidence and communion in a human relationship, so inattention to the holy unravels the fabric of the divine relationship. Thorns and thistles choke the unused path. A verdant heart becomes a devastated vineyard. And we periodically close off God to our consciousness by looking the other way. Our hearts are chilled. Christian agnostics don't deny a personal God. They display their unbelief by ignoring the sacred. The paltriness of our lives is so mute, is mute testimony to the shabby furniture of our souls. And so our days become more and more trivial. We get caught in a hectic maze, rising when the clock determines, battered by news headlines that seem remote and beyond our reach, jangled by all the mechanical operations that launch us into activity and productivity, tested by traffic, forced to calculate time and distance to the second. Elevators and phones and gadgets guide us through necessary interactions and keep human interactions superficial and at minimum. 
Our concentration is interspersed by meetings and small crises. At the end of the day, we, re we re rewind ourselves, traffic automation headlines until we see that, set that alarm clock to dictate tomorrow's awakening. Routines of ticking and timing. Little room for responding humanly and humanely to the day's events. Little time to enter into the wisdom and freshness and the promise of its opportunities. We feel our lives closing in, confining and conforming us. We settle in and settle down to lives of comfortable piety and well-fed virtue. We grow complacent and lead practical lives. Our feeble attempts at prayer are filled with stilted phrases addressed to our impassive deity. Even times of worship become trivialized. This is the victorious limp often lived by this writer. At different times in the journey I've tried to fill the emptiness that fre frequently comes with God's presence through a variety of substitutes, writing, preaching, traveling, television, movies, ice cream, shallow relationships, sports, music, daydreaming, alcohol, etc. As Annie Dillard says, there's always an enormous temptation to diddle around making itsy-bitsy friends and meals and journeys for itsy-bitsy years on end. Along the way I opted for slavery and lost the desire for freedom. I loved my captivity and imprisoned myself in the desire for things I hated. I hardened my heart against true love. I abandoned prayer and took flight from the simple sacredness of my life. On some given day when grace overtook me and I returned to prayer, I huffed expected Jesus to ask who that? None of my failures and faithfulness have proved terminal. Again and again radical grace has gripped me in the depths of my being, brought me to accept ownership of my infidelities and led me back to the fifth step of the AA program, acknowledge to God, another human being and myself, the exact nature of my wrongdoing. The forgiveness of God is gratuitous liberation from guilt. Paradoxically, the conviction of personal sinfulness becomes the occasion of encounter with the merciful love of the redeeming God. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repenting. In his brokenness, the repentant prodigal knew an intimacy with his father that his sinless self-righteous brother would never know. So let's reflect in the quiet of this moment before God what would it like be like to be a child tonight for just a little while to stand still with Jesus and look around at all that is your life look back where you've been what you've done what you've not done. Remember your dreams back then? What are they now? What have they become? What are you still grieving? What still stings? What are you proud of? Why do you wish you had made a different decision? What about your family? How does that feel tonight? How empty or full are you at this moment? 
Where is your measure of sadness or joy, hope or despair, fulfillment or numb resignation? How alive are you? How passionate? How confident? How much do you like and love yourself right now? If you feel proud and successful, how much do you attribute to yourself and what you deserve, what you earned by hard work? How much do you attribute to grace and blessing, to where you were born, the support you received, the opportunities you were given, the fact that you did not get maimed or seriously ill along the way? and a host of other good things that were not really, if you're honest, in your control. You were fortunate. And if you feel disappointed and privately quite a failure, how much do you attribute to yourself? To what went wrong, or the lack of opportunity, lack of support, maybe betrayals? Maybe you did get maimed or ill and you have never recovered. What does it feel like to be you tonight? With everything laid out for all to see. All the successes and all the failures for all to see. How much would you dread being revealed? How much have you come to terms with all of you, the good and the bad? What does it feel like to be you? Or would you rather be someone else? If you were an artist, what would you add to the picture of you? What would you erase? Do you know Jesus wouldn't change one thing about you? Because in you is all the raw material he delighted to deposit so that you could be the one and only you, his beloved child, his friend, the apple of his eye. Jesus adores you tonight in this very moment. You don't have to do anything or become anyone else to win his approval or to make him love you more. His love is unchanging. Your trust in his love is what is rising to the surface or your lack of trust. I'm talking about a real trust, a trust that has feet and purpose, trust that makes a difference and impacts decisions, trust that influences how you use your time and how you spend your money, trust that demonstrates abandonment to the living God and the faithfulness of Jesus, a trust that says, but unless he, ch he shows up or provides, I'll be in trouble. Living trust. No matter 
You are here now. And you see who you are. How does you feel tonight? You stand with Jesus. He loves you unconditionally. And you ask him one question. Lord, what did you desire and design me for in this life? What did you see I could become? And if he placed his answer to that question beside you now, would you be twins? Would you know and recognize that person, do you think? Would you like to know his response and answer to the question, Lord, who do you want me to be? It's never too late for the Master to work. If you and I are willing, we can clamber up onto his potter's wheel right now and allow him to place his gentle, firm, loving, creative hands around us and begin to restore and save that within us which has been lost, no matter for what reason. His commitment is always the same. To love us unconditionally and to make us new. Our commitment to be still on the wheel and compliant under his hands. Not to jump off too quickly, not to try and take control and tell him what to do but to allow him the time and the freedom to work his creativity out in us and through us. So, right now, the question that hangs before us is who will determine the rest of my life? Who will shape it? Who will be God?